0: Gregory Warner here to tell you about NPR's new international podcast. It's called Rough Translation. Each week, we're going to take you to a different country to hear a story that reflects back on something that we are talking about here in the United States. Maybe get a perspective shift. Travel with us. Rough Translation is on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Now, before we start, how's about you go review us in iTunes? Seriously, just go to iTunes and tell us what you think. It really helps other very attractive listeners, such as yourself, find the show. Here's a recent five-star review from Jeffrey1959. Quote, good job. I really like the show. End quote. That's it. Succinct, economical, to the point. That's really all your review needs to be. Now, let's start the show. On a recent Tuesday night in Chicago, a bunch of strangers got together in a bar to talk about a podcast.
2: Hi, everybody.
3: Hello, hello, hello. So people have been coming up to us and probably you too and saying, what do you think of S-Town?
1: S-Town is the lush Southern Gothic audio series from industry juggernauts, Serial and This American Life. It seems like everyone who's listened now wants to unload about the show. So the folks behind the Third Coast International Audio Festival decided to do something about it. They called it the S-Town Hall. Get it?
3: What is S-Town about?
1: Uh, I
4: think it's about one man's tortured being. All of these complexities that go along with all of us. I mean, it's, it's it's about one guy. It's about all of us all at the same time.
1: Another listener had this take on the podcast. It's it's kind of like a eulogy. There's this,
4: one of the important moments in it is when the the, the preacher gives the eulogy for, for his life and and they're like, wait a minute, that's not what he's like at all. And then it seems like what we get in the re- remainder of the, the podcast is what should have been in, in the eulogy, in a sense.
1: I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of. And we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Now, there hasn't been this much attention around a podcast since the genre-busting serial. And with good reason. S-Town, hosted by Brian Reed, is confusing and complex and maddening and inspiring all at the same time.
4: We fit dead end after dead end, and now John is craning his neck and scoping out our options. (laughs) He scouts his direction.
1: It is. It's kind of funny to be lost in something you designed yourself, isn't it? Oh no! We're stuck. Hmm. Are you really lost or are you putting it on for me? Actually lost in our own ways. Isn't that exciting? And people who have listened all the way through, they want to talk about it. I've heard
3: this someplace that there's, you know, these like certain things that make a story and one of those is stranger comes to town. And so I feel like A lot of this is Brian Reed coming to town, and John
1: B. has reached out to him to bring him into his world. Some people at the bar thought a lot about this show.
3: Another way to describe it is in terms of form instead of content, that it's a delicate literary wolf in mystery true crime sheep's clothing. I I like that. I want to keep thinking about that.
1: And we're going to keep thinking about that in a bit with our pals at Third Coast. But first... Insanely popular shows like S-Town, Serial, and Missing Richard Simmons have captured the imagination of millions of listeners, but they've also raised thorny ethical questions. And here to help us bushwhack those. Hello. Hello. Hey. Is Kelly McBride. Let me get next to the microphone. She is the vice president of the Pointer Institute, which educates journalists around the world. But for our purposes, McBride is an authority on media ethics And also an avid consumer of podcasts. Also, she has her own podcast, which I did not know because apparently I am a dodo. So you do have a show. But Every,
5: everybody has a show. Everyone, you can't that's true. not have a show.
1: Everyone has a show, uh, including me. I can't even believe it. But anyway, I I want to get to all of your various ethical conundrums you see. Um, but I want to I talk about, you know, I think that season one of Serial sort of cracked open podcasts as a cultural phenomenon. And I'm wondering what you thought about it when it came out? And, and did it raise your ethical antennae? Oh, absolutely. The The thing that I thought was
5: most interesting in terms of ethical questions with Serial, and, and this has turned out to be a driving ethical question in many of the true crime podcasts, is um, there's these narrative devices that you use when you introduce a character. And at one point when they were introducing whether um, the police had investigated Adnan's crime, there was a suggestion that there was another likely suspect that mm-hmm. had not been introduced.
1: Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three.
5: This is tape from a police interview of the
3: man who finds Hay. He's a little hard to hear on the tape. He's soft-spoken. I'm going to call this man Mr. S. I don't want to use his full name for reasons I promise will become clear. Mr. S works in the maintenance department at a local school.
4: I think I may have discovered
0: a body in Lincoln Park.
5: I think I may have discovered a body in Lincoln Park, he says. That's that's really interesting to me because you are essentially saying, hey, look, this guy could be a suspect. This guy should have been a suspect in this crime, and he wasn't charged that could be potentially libelous. Mm -hmm. It could certainly be very harmful to him if you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And like you have an obligation to do more than just – as a journalist, you have an obligation to not introduce it as a question but to definitively answer it. Right. But the genre of podcasting – draws on the devices of fiction, right, where you introduce suspense in order to propel the listener forward. Mm-hmm. There's a tension there in values, the, the, the literary values and qualities of the form of storytelling and the journalistic value of telling the truth
1: mm-hmm.
5: Indirect tension there. And I just find that really fascinating.
1: When you're saying, you know, that sort of introducing someone as a character And then suggesting that they could have been partied to a crime could potentially be libelous or damaging. I think we also saw that in Missing Richard Simmons, which is in this sort of vein where, you know, where there were questions about where where has this man gone and is he being held captive by his housekeeper who was named in the. In the Exactly,
5: shot. yeah. And um, and you saw this in a couple of different ways in S-Town. Mm-hmm. In Missing Richard Simmons also, they introduced the notion that the housekeeper was possibly holding Richard Simmons hostage.
4: So she's the witch in the story. She's the witch in the story and she's the witch in the real life. You mean a literal witch? Uh, in my opinion, yes. She's a witch. And
5: later, in other installments, they say, no, we don't believe that. We don't right. think it's true. But what if I didn't consume that? What if, as a consumer, I only listened to the introduction of the bad guy and not the, the caveat that's like, oh, he's not really a bad guy? Right.
1: Well, and that is, and as you pointed out, this tension between journalism and storytelling, and often the storytelling wins. Um, I mean, there's journalism in there. but if you're thinking about it from from an ethical perspective, it's like, well, what will drive this story forward? And I wonder, you know, are there ways that you think of that that can be, Avoid it. I don't think you— Especially when this is entertainment, right? Right. I mean, we're consuming it because I don't need to know about this town in Alabama. Something's happened. Something has absolutely happened in this town. Well, I would argue that there is
5: a deeper, higher quality to knowing about this town in Alabama. Okay. That, that we are better informed human beings mm-hmm. when we understand that story. hmm um, it takes us to a place that we can't really go ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a noble goal of journalism. I, I think that there are some devices that we could use. I mean, what if we just said at the beginning, hey, in order to make this story enjoyable for you, we're using literary and narrative devices. You want to make sure you go through the whole thing.
1: Well, especially in, in a show like that, where you're talking about private people Private lives, a town that did not, you know, consent. A community that didn't necessarily consent to this. I mean, the individual people who were interviewed did. And to me, if if I if I lived in that place, I, you know, I would I would I might be offended by that. Um, when when I wasn't I wasn't part of it to begin with.
5: So so as journalists, I actually think this is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. We are creating relevant, impactful stories. Mm-hmm. Yay. Let's just (laughs) celebrate that, right? Like we are significant. And the work that we're doing is having an impact. But because it's journalism, because it's truth, and because we have a civic responsibility, we always have to pay attention to unintended consequences mm-hmm.
1: and try and minimize those and control for those. Yeah. I You know, all of the, the, the three podcasts we've been talking about, Serial S-Town and Missing Richard Simmons, they are all sort of at the outset, these stories that are seen through a, the lens of a crime. And I wonder what you think about that. And you know, is that the only thing that we're interested in?
5: Well, so I learned from a wonderful narrative writer, Tom French, that narrative is driven by questions. Mm-hmm. And it is the question that drives the reader through a piece of text. Um, and it is the question that drives a listener through an, an audio story. Mm-hmm. Crimes have natural questions. Who did it? Right. Did this really happen? Um, is there some great collusion behind this? Mm -hmm. Did the police get it wrong? So crimes have natural questions embedded in them, but I think other stories that are going to make really compelling serial narratives in the podcasting genre are going to be driven by a question, Mm -hmm. and it might not be a crime question, but a lot of times it's a question of, did somebody do something bad?
1: (laughs) So I... I feel like um, there has been this deluge of critiques of S-Town, or everyone has written about Ooh, this particular
5: So many hot takes. Show.
1: So many hot takes. And that, you know, some of the critiques that have come up are around how the show handles mental health and suicide. And, and I wonder when you listened, what, um, you know, what flags were raised for you?
5: Oh, my gosh. That was so badly handled. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there is a website called reportingonsuicide.org, and um, journalists and suicide researchers have put together best practices, mm-hmm. um, and that's because there is a real contagion that happens when suicides are badly reported. Mm-hmm. Um, the best recent example is, you know, after Robin Williams killed himself, um, the incidence of suicide went up three times. Wow. What we know about suicide contagion is is that when you glorify the person who committed suicide, when you describe the means of suicide, um, and when you don't put any resources available for people who might be considering suicide, that you increase the contagion.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like after Serial, there were a lot of... Um... I wouldn't say copycats necessarily, but people who, you know, thought, hey, I could do this too. I would like to make a true crime, you know, serialized podcast myself. Um, I'm guessing that we'll see the same thing with, with S Town, where people will take a novelistic approach to storytelling. Hopefully, there won't be, you know, this like onslaught of. Radio reporters descending on the South, um, God, looking for us. that, looking for that perfect I live town, in the South, right? Really, <laughs> exactly. But I wonder, you know, what advice would you give to people who are inspired by um, by these types of shows and in ways that you could, you know, maybe employ some um, better practices? So
5: I would say, beware of exoticizing people who are different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, Funny accents, um, people with with interesting ways of living, um, turns of speech. Those are all the details that that allow us to understand character. But when um, the other thing that that felt weird about S Town is, it's this guy from New York coming down to the South to do a story. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've talked to a lot of people who live in the South who recognize towns like Woodstock, mm-hmm. and. Um, they said, you know, the the great thing is, is he got it. He nailed it. That right. they recognized those characters as authentic and genuine. Mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing to think about is who the audience is. And it was really clear that the audience was not the people of Woodstock, right. but the outside world. Um, but what is the impact on the, the people of Woodstock, mm-hmm. of S-Town? Um, that's a... Um, you can't you can't avoid causing them harm. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you approach them in a way that minimizes that harm?
1: Kelly McBride is the vice president of the Pointer Institute and co host the podcast, Everyday Ethics. To find out more about her work, check out our website, biglisten.org. Remember the S-Town Hall from the top of the show? That was a response to listeners' desire to have a conversation about what they heard and to be a part of a community of listeners. Johanna Zorn, the executive director of the Third Coast Festival, which held the town hall, says it's similar to when Serial came out. It was the feeling that everyone around you was listening
3: to Serial. And there was critical writing about it. And there was a parody on Saturday Night Live. Chris and at the North Pole. It finally got into the culture. So there was that feeling of it being present around you and it being acknowledged as as a you know critical art form.
1: The fact that shows like Serial and S-Town and Missing Richard Simmons are sparking national conversations and bringing people into the realm of audio storytelling is great. There are lots of ears on the podcast because of them. And more ears means more critique. It just broadens the world in all
3: ways. Mm-hmm. People are hungry for more. So now there's just so much more experimentation with genre and style. And who was doing true crime 15 years ago? No one. And now there's so much of it. I might say too much. But
1: just me. We're going to take a quick break now, but in a bit we'll talk to Irish writer and comedian Maeve Higgins about her American immigration story. Do you know the the film Brooklyn? That was you? You were in that? (laughs) That
2: was me. (laughs) That was me in my cardigan arriving in Ellis Island.
1: But first we'll visit with the host of a show all about being Muslim in America. See something, say something.
4: We were sitting there brainstorming names for the show and had a bunch of different ideas, like Halal Cart was one of the the front runners. (laughs)
1: That's coming up in the gym. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Hey pals, did you know the Big Listen has a newsletter? Well, we do, and it's pretty fun, if I do say so myself. So just go to biglisten.org and hit the button under my face that reads, Get the newsletter. Then you'll get the newsletter. Cool.
2: Hi, Lauren. This is Caroline from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm calling to recommend Nancy. It's a podcast by Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe about being gay. And it's awesome. I love it.
4: I told my parents I was gay over Thanksgiving break of freshman year of college, the night before I was supposed to go back to school. I had what I would call a vague sense of dread, but I also thought I knew how my mom might react, somewhere between a hug and a parade, which is not what
1: I got tell me what i said
4: (laughs) we had a conversation you said i want to say two things to you that i would say even if you were straight number one don't be such a slob because no one's going to want to be with you if you're such a (laughs) slob and number two i think you've gained weight
1: (laughs) it makes me feel
2: like everything i've ever thought is actually valid and that's a really really great feeling all right thanks love you bye
1: Hey, pals, welcome back to the Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and that very attractive listener you just heard was Caroline, and I want you to be just like her. So call me 202 885 Pod1. We want you on the Podline. So, if you've been paying attention to the news in America, you might get the idea that it's a challenging time to be a Muslim. Hate crimes against Muslims have skyrocketed in the past few years. Anti-Muslim profiling is on the rise. And then, of course, there's the travel ban. President Trump defending his controversial travel ban, even as attorneys general from 16 states slam it as, quote, unconstitutional, un-American, and unlawful. Protesters gathering in cities across the United States- In all states, that news, New BuzzFeed to- writer and now podcast host, Ahmed Ali Akbar, noticed there were some pretty important voices missing those of actual Muslim Americans, especially younger folks. In his podcast, See Something, Say Something, tries to fill the void. If you see something, you better, you
4: better say something.
1: See Something, Say Something features Muslim American comedians and writers and thinkers talking about stuff like dating, television, and, of course, the news. Because how could we avoid it? But it's not sanitized for non-Muslims.
4: So this episode is going to be a bit of a pop culture smorgasbord. We're going to be looking back at some s*** representations of Muslims. And then we're going to talk about the celebrity Muslim baby that's probably going to save all of our lives.
1: Ahmed Ali Akbar, welcome to The Big Listen.
4: Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Okay, I I first need you to explain the name of your show because I feel like it's a little tongue-in-cheek.
4: It is a little tongue-in-cheek, um, and I absolutely can't take any credit for it, <laughs> uh, because uh, we were sitting there brainstorming names for the show and had a bunch of different ideas. Uh, like Halal Cart was one of the <laughs> one of the front runners, uh, but then uh, we were trying to think of music too, and I realized there was this song by this band that I have been a fanboy of for a long time called See Something, Say Something. Uh-huh. Um, it's by the Caminas who, okay. do our th- who do do our theme music. Like that dream did come true. Right. Um, <laughs>
1: yes.
4: So, uh, yeah, it comes from that. I mean, it's not like the show is necessarily very satirical, but, right. you know, it's like it's an eye on Muslims.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> so. sure. So if you were to sort of describe the show in your words, um, what, uh, what would your description be?
4: The way I like it to be is it's a bunch of friends sitting around a room um, drinking tea and talking about, you know, identity, which is like that's in their lives, you Mm -hmm. know, and telling stories. Mm -hmm. But also the thing is I want us to be able to have the difficult conversations and of course because it's a podcast it can be stressful for people to be put on the spot and talk about their identity it's easier for us to like have a conversation one-on-one and as much as possible I try to make people feel comfortable that you know we're going to represent their experience fairly and we're going to you know uh, give them the space to explain themselves and ask people not to speak for anyone but themselves if we have to, like, what are some better ways? I, I, we're kind of were talking about it now, but what are some better ways we can speak in these situations? Like, if you know, if you're, a, if there's a young Muslim listening to this podcast, you know, and they're in that situation, what's your advice for them?
2: I think it would be to make very clear that you're spe- speaking about your own lived experience, which sounds like things that you guys have already done. So saying, you know, I'm from Southern California and Pakistani Muslim, and like it looks like this yeah. to mm-hmm. me. Uh, especially being conscious of how you represent yourself to the outside. I think there is a real, speaking of thirst, there's a
1: real thirst for like, what do the Muslims think? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: What's happening?
2: Because they think Good we have this high mind. dollars also. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is true. So they're so curious that it, that question is out there. And if you don't make it perfectly clear that you're not speaking on behalf of all of them, it'll get taken that way. Mm-hmm. And you may not want it to be.
1: On your show, you've talked a lot about the experience of being Muslim in America, especially under the Trump administration, which obviously we know has tried uh, twice now to block people from these yeah. six ma- Muslim-majority nations.
4: But we keep coming.
1: <laughs> for, for you, I'm curious as to how um, how you've seen attitudes change. I mean, it, it seems, from my sort of white female non-Muslim perspective that there's been this big shift?
4: Well, I think there is a difference, which is to say that um, there are now more effective strategies of white supremacy and hatred, right, right. <laughs> which is like uh, kind of the scariest thing about it. Mm-hmm. My like political consciousness has always been shaped by my Muslim identity and my parents. But of course, like like for many people, 9-11 was a big um uh, a big uh, influencing factor for like how I came to think of how I my Muslimness relates to like my Americanness. I think as a result, I was engaged in, ta- in engaging with like people who are ignorant and, 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 and hateful. Mm-hmm. And I was also a huge nerd. So I was on the internet a lot, like a lot. I used to be on message boards all the time. And I noticed this thing that would happen, which is, um, there was like a couple of key points that were being made over and over again by this group of people on these message boards, where they'd be like, you know, uh, Muhammad is a pedophile. Islam is a religion of violence. Like, there's, you know, Islam is a is a poli- is a politicized. Uh, religion and there's no way to have a non-political relationship to Islam. There's all right. these arguments that they would make. And I would, like, argue with them, basically, <laughs> like, here are, like, here's my humanity, here's my reality, sure. here's my story. And they would just keep going back through these points. And this is in 2007, mind you. Right. Um. And now I'm seeing that has become so popular. Yeah. I have seen it really embody itself in our public discourse in a <laughs> way that it, uh, was just on the creepiest corners of the internet before. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know,
1: I I think one thing that's important to note about your show is that it's covering this sort of, the the breadth in this very large community. So you're not just talking about the sort of doom and gloom of what's happening in in politics, but but you also have pretty fun segments like um, Do Better. Uh I like that where-
4: I'm very proud of that one.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, where you're basically you're basically pulling out like these muslim um or or sort of brown tropes um in popular culture and you know deconstructing them and trying to determine well actually here's what would here's how you could have done this better. And I right. wonder like for you what was the inspiration for um for that.
4: I think we've we've done one so far do better and we we definitely want to do more and we what we what we did in a way, I think, which like informs it as we went back to the early 90s, which, you know, for like our generation of, you know, writers at BuzzFeed, um, there are many of us who are in our, you know, mid to late 20s. And that's when we were growing up. And it was so rare to see Muslims on TV. But when we did see ourselves on TV in the 90s, it was just so it was like so it was fascinating. You know, how do people see you without really knowing you? What do they what's their perception of who you are? Um, And Muslims have many times, I think, and immigrants also just generally are often seen but not understood and then like reflected back in media in a way that just seems grotesque. You know. So like any sitcom, there's an A plot and a B plot in this episode of Seinfeld. The A plot is basically about George trying to prove to his girlfriend that he's smart. She asks him to take an IQ test and he makes Elaine take the test. The B plot is the main part that we're talking about. And Jerry is obsessed with this cafe opened across the street called the Dream Cafe run by a Pakistani immigrant. He gets way too involved, thinks the guy doesn't know what he's doing, tries to fix the restaurant and just horribly fails in every single way. And the way that Pakistani immigrant was portrayed is what we're going to be focusing on for this episode.
0: This is amazing. I haven't seen one person go in that restaurant since it opened. Poor guy.
4: It's called the Dream, I think? No. Yeah, Babu Bhatt's Dream Cafe. Yeah, Dream Cafe, right? We We want to do, like, there's more than that, of course. Like, there are, like, such, like, starkly like violent portrayals. Yeah, like Homeland, exactly. Yeah. But it's tiring to also think about those things. You right. You it's well- like...
1: Tell me why. I mean, I know it seems like an obvious question, but tell me why it feels tiring.
4: Because I don't know anything. All all I know is about being uh, American Muslim in a way. And as Muslims or as South Asians, you're asked to answer for things like from an early age, from 13, 14, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS. Sure. Things that have huge histories and lots of context that you couldn't even maybe understand fully if you lived there. And then when you're looking at things like Homeland, you have to look at how— um you know non muslim people are perceiving these things right. um and it can feel like that's the only way that you know popular culture understands muslims to to act like and look like um and that's very tiring because it's yeah. like it requires me to do research right <laughs> you know like i don't know anything like i don't really i can't i'm i don't feel like i'm more qualified i'm like that much more qualified than a homeland writer to write a scene i would not write a scene like that because i think it would be irresponsible of me um but uh, I understand there's also a need for stories about like what's happening in the world. Right. But like they could be like 10 times more responsible than they right. are.
1: Right. Um but are you qualified to talk about DJ Khaled? DJ Khaled. All I do is win 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 no matter
4: what. I'm qualified to love him. <laughs> And to uh, appreciate his joy and and swag and <laughs> love for his his son and his garden and his his own little language he's developed for himself.
1: Is he? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm like trying to look this up while we're talking. Is is he Palestinian? What is his?
4: He's Palestinian. Yeah. So, so. here here's an interesting thing about this. Oftentimes I talk about DJ Khalid on the show to people, and they're like, "Oh, but is he really Muslim?" And DJ Khalid participates. Um, and some things that are like like Islamic religious and cultural practices right. like when his son Assad was born he played the call to prayer off his phone he didn't yeah. do it himself <laughs> into, into his son's ear <laughs> and you know I just saw an image of my niece being born and my father leaning over and doing the call of prayer in her ear this is something that many Muslim children around the world have as like their you know I, close after they're born right um and to me i'm like it's maybe I, i'm not going to go into what what's in his heart or like what he really believes it's not important to me it's like i don't want to be exclusionary about these things because that's when a lot of problems happen is when you start thinking about who's muslim and who's not that's really not my place to judge but is he playing with those things he is yeah and we should we should think about that
1: Ahmed Ali Akbar is the host of See Something, Say Something from BuzzFeed. If you want more info about his show, check out our website, biglisten.org. Well, it's time for another super quick break. But when we come back, we'll catch up with Irish writer, comedian and podcast host Maeve Higgins about her journey getting an American visa. You know, to
2: get Uh it, I had to kind of get some press clippings and some like people in the in the business to write letters for me to the government um so I got like my friends who do voices in Bob's Burgers to be like she's good let her in (laughs) um and then you know there's like astrophysicists sitting in refugee camps in Jordan who like can't get in
1: that's coming right up on the big listen stick around this is NPR Hey, pals. Thanks for listening to The Big Listen. So this summer, if you want to keep up to date on the news of the day, check out Up First. It's the morning news podcast from NPR. In just 10 minutes, Up First is the quick morning update on what happened and what you need to start your day. Wake up with Up First tomorrow morning on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: Hi there, my name is Sean Batchley. I'm from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm calling to recommend, um, sorry, I'm driving, uh, The Adventures of Memento Mori.
0: Could you pass me the rolls? Oh, and by the way, Aunt Sylvia, what would you like done with your remains?
4: <laughs> hey, are you more relaxed about the
0: possibility of dying because you feel like you've got it all figured out? Relaxed? No, absolutely not. And I'm not claiming to have anything figured out, just organized.
4: It's just a really smart, really erudite, really funny, really sharp, um, and thoughtful podcast. And you know, one that's also just sort of brought about a lot of reflection um, for me. So I highly recommend it. Again, that's The Adventures of Memento Mori. Thank you, bye.
1: Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and would now be a convenient time for you to call the pod line and leave us your recommendation? Well, I hope so. The number is 202-885-POD1. We appreciate your time and your service. All right, friends, it's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they're into these days. And this week, I am pleased to tell you, we are joined by Maeve Higgins, host of the podcast Maeve in America, Immigration IRL. She's a writer and comedian. And fun fact, she also co-hosts Talk on the National Geographic channel with everyone's favorite dreamboat astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Higgins came to the U.S. three years ago from Ireland. Since then, she's started thinking a lot about immigrant life, her own and other people's. And, in true industrious immigrant fashion, she started a podcast about it. Hello, howdy,
2: guten tag, au revoir. It is me, it's Maeve from Maeve in America. Welcome to the show. Bienvenido a ma showy. Each week we hear from an immigrant. We hear their story in their own words. And what better timing, am I right? It is literally the best time in the history of the world to be an immigrant to the U.S. JK, it's really not, Especially if you're Syrian.
1: Maeve Higgins, host of Maeve in America. Welcome to The Big Listen. Hi. Thank you so much. So before we get going, I, I want to establish your cred on this subject. You are... Okay. You're Irish. Street cred. Street cred. Oh, not
2: street cred. Well,
1: okay. It's <laughs> it, Do you have street cred? <laughs> Haven't you heard? No, not at all. I mean... Absolutely none. Okay, but you are.
2: You but are, my immigration credibility yes. is. I guess I am an immigrant. And right. Even though I feel like because I'm white and European, a lot of times people are like, "Oh no, you don't have to call yourself that."
1: I'm like what? Really? People say that? Like, but how yeah, are you I mean, not they... an immigrant? You're you're from Ireland originally, mm-hmm. and you moved here for work, for kicks, for love, for all the above.
2: Yes, for adventures. Like, I had this romantic idea of, you know, moving to New York to be a writer. Uh And, um, I mean, that has kind of that is what i do it's right. not like i thought it would be <laughs> um, what did you think it would be different. you'd be like
1: sitting in a in a like smoky coffee shop or something like writing in your notebook
2: yeah i think so like i just remember being like i'm going to wear a black turtleneck all the time <laughs> and like the the gap between like what i think is going to happen and what does happen is always <laughs> um really <laughs> baffling to me
1: <laughs> was it um what was it like for you to sort of pull up stakes and you know as an adult to make that decision
2: it's a funny one. I mean, people, because so I got this three-year visa, and it's like a, I guess, an artist visa, where um, you know, to get mm-hmm. it, I had to kind of get some press clippings and some like people in the in the business to write letters for me to the government. Um, so I got like my friends right, who do right. voices in Bob's Burgers to be like, "She's good, let her in." <laughs> um, and then you know, there's like astrophysicists sitting in refugee camps in Jordan who like can't get in. So, I think that my own immigration story like is Do you know the the film Brooklyn? That was you. You were in that? <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me in my cardigan arriving in Ellis Island. Um her biggest struggle in that was, you know, learning how to eat spaghetti. And like I would say I've had just as privileged a right. privilege ride. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was. Um, I, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but like just like a recognition of like what massive um luck I had that I happened to be born in Europe and mm-hmm. to be born white. And I can see how raced the system is and how um stacked against, you know, certain groups it is. So that's, yeah, that definitely... It makes me want to ask mm-hmm. more questions. Mm-hmm.
1: You had Bassam Youssef on your show, who is an Egyptian surgeon, but also comedian. He hosted a a show there on TV for a long time until it got to be basically unsafe for him. Um, and now he's uh, he's here.
2: You were a doctor and then you were like the top comic in the Middle East. Where did this drive come from?
0: So there's two things. There is... Being true to yourself as doing the job as it should be done, holding the the uh, authority and media accountable, mm-hmm. and there is the selfish part that you want to be the best at what you do. I'm never satisfied with what I do. Yeah. I beat myself up for not getting a hundred percent, and uh, it maybe it's part of being a very insecure adult white male. So uh, I'm not even white. Sorry, I'm brown. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I chose the <laughs> wrong colour. Uh, we are one of those people who take others. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And thank God they didn't the do it. other A- box, yeah. yeah the, I mean, thank God they have others because if it was Arab or Middle Eastern, you know that we, we wouldn't even Trouble. take it. No, we will not take it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you, you grew up in Egypt, you lived most of your career there. You never had to think of yourself as other Right until yeah. you're here. Which I, di-
0: I didn't have to think of myself as anything, mm, but now I have to. I have to find uh, some sort of classification.
1: One thing that that um, that Bassam said that was interesting is that it you know it doesn't matter what you think you are. It matters what they think you are. And so, for going back to you know like where do you draw the line? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it the reasons why. Um, y- you know why you get in and somebody else doesn't get in is like what people think you are, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you literally have to tick forms and you have to apply and you have to like put down on paper. And I think that um something that we wanted to do with like Maven America with the show was to just try and like <laughs> like actually hear people like pass that so. Yes, we had a Syrian asylum seeker guest, but Mm -hmm. like I chatted to him about like um, trying to quit smoking. Right, right. (laughs) And like, you know, how does he think you should raise children Mm -hmm. and just regular human stuff? Because that's um, what, you know, that's often gets forgotten, I think. And also Mm -hmm. that's what's interesting.
1: Right. So the the Syrian man you spoke with or that you were talking about was Mohammed Zaza.
2: He is six foot one and tons of fun. Honestly, we're around the same age, but he seems like an uncle type to me. Sort of like, you know, someone who'd help you with your taxes, but also be super fun at a wedding.
4: My name is Mohammed Zaza. Everybody called me Zaza. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Since we have a lot of Mohammeds in my country. In my company, we have like 350 Mohammeds. So if you call Mohammed, everybody would answer.
2: <laughs> it's a rainy day and I've come to see Zaza at work. He manages an upmarket luggage store just off Fifth Avenue in midtown Manhattan. It's a super slick place. The staff wear all black clothes and he shows me around this huge showroom. When you when you uh, walk downstairs, you will mm-hmm. find all the travel accessories that you need. Floor, and you know he works in a he, he manages this luggage store and it's beautiful but he's not allowed to travel right <laughs> like everything just kind of descended as you know back in Syria he mm-hmm. couldn't go back there his family scattered um just his father lives there now in the countryside in Homs in a huge um, house that he had built for them all to live together and that didn't make it into the show but that really got to me yeah. because like my dad has this fantasy that like his kids we, yeah. we live all over the place you know, he keeps like extending the house, right? <laughs> back in Ireland, and so that really, I was like, "Oh God!" There's these old men all over the world who are like, "They're coming home." Yeah. But in my case, I can go and visit. In Zaza's case, he cannot. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm like making a case for him, and I shouldn't even need to do that. Like he's just a a person who's trying to live.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Um, one of the episodes that I particularly enjoyed was when you had. Um, First generation comedians and writers interview their immigrant parents. Um, you had on Alex Karpovsky from um, from HBO's Girls and um, Charla Lauriston from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix.
2: So let's go back to Charla. She asked her mom um, what was the hardest thing for her about like making the move and, and being an immigrant.
4: Wow. It's the language barrier, the first thing. You have. What you call anxiety to, you know, to talk. You think people are going to be laughing at mm-hmm. you. And when I talk, the first question will be, where, where did you, you come from? from? Where are you from? I mean, I cannot make out your accent. And um, no matter where I go, the first thing people ask me, where are you from? So your accent is like an announcement that you're no different. different. That's yeah. it.
2: So I was, like, left feeling, like, quite envious of all of these kids with, like, these, like, cool parents who knew whole other worlds than they did.
1: Well, you know, these are these are all very heavy topics. And I wonder if, you know, you, you host a podcast. Um, do you listen to any podcasts to, like, lighten the load a little bit for yourself?
2: Yeah, I do. I listen to podcasts that are, because uh, my podcast is, like, it's funny, it's sad, and it's true, and mm-hmm. I realize those are like my favorite three things okay. to um, to find. So for funny, I love Reductress podcast. It's uh-huh. called Mouth Time. Mm-hmm. Open wide! It's mouth time with Reductress. I'm Manila and I'm Zakora, and we're just two girls mm-hmm. who share what our heads are thinking by moving our mouths. <laughs> It's so silly, and it just like makes me laugh on the subway, which is always like a really good sign, I think. <laughs> um, and then I listen to BBC Global World News or Global. What is it called? BBC Global News.
1: You're listening to Global News, the most important stories and the best. Okay. okay.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a new show. It comes out twice a day, and it has the best. Um, best and kind of, like, odd stories from all around the world. Uh
0: We've driven out
2: from the centre of Kananga town and have come to the suburb of Nganza. It's deserted. Everywhere you walk, you find homes, compounds that are empty. People have fled. I love listening to that because when I listen to the news in America, it's all just, like, American accents, even though, like, America (laughs) has, like... All different people living here. I'm always like, what happened to everybody? Um, So this has like reporters from all around the world, like calling in or, you know sending reports right. it's, it's great and it just makes me re- remember that like oh yeah this isn't like the centre of the world right and um, I just listened to S-Town and I loved that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
2: <laughs> I loved it it was crazy
1: well um, Mave Higgins host of Maeve in America Immigration IRL thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us I appreciate it
2: thank you Laura and thanks for listening to the show you're so good
1: Maeve Higgins is the host of Maeve in America, Immigration IRL from First Look Media. To find out more about her show or any of the shows she recommended, hit up biglisten.org. It's got all the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. No, no, so sad. But before we let you go... It's time for C-H- chart- C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. We're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. That is such a good ranking, and you should be proud of yourselves. All right, this week's 289, it was something I really didn't know anything about, Uh, It was the Golden State Media Concepts MMA podcast. And if you don't know what MMA means, that means mixed martial arts. So basically people punching and kicking and scratching each other inside of some type of a cage. And the host is a gentleman named Tate.
4: Once again, I'm your host,
1: Tate. And he has a sidekick.
4: My faithful sidekick. Named William. How you doing there, William? I'm doing well.
1: Who has kind of a creepy voice. um, And also... (laughs) And also in one episode was talking about how he was like checking things off of his bucket list. And one of the things on his bucket list was like
4: Uh, about to do some cryotherapy.
1: I don't know who has that on their bucket list. But anyway, in this particular episode that I listened to, it was a preview of a fight by two men named Cormier and Johnson. And apparently there was some kind of huge controversy over their weigh in because one of them lost one pound after he had already weighed in. I lost 1.2 pounds in two minutes, and you can too. And then Tate goes on to have a long conversation about a fight between a woman named Pearl Gonzalez and another woman named Cynthia Calvillo. And apparently, Miss Gonzalez has breast implants, and it meant that she could not fight in New York City because the New York State Athletic Commission said, Hey,
4: if you have breast implants, You can't fight in New York.
1: Who knew that was a rule?
4: The dangerous thing about a breast implants are they can actually pop.
1: So that's what I learned uh, in the Golden State Media Concepts MMA podcast. Also, apparently, they have uh, a podcast for female MMA stars. So I got to respect that they're giving women a fair shake. Do you want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, guess what? You can Just go to iTunes or NPR One or any Fine Purveyor podcast and hit that subscribe button. Then we'll be screeching into your feed every week automatically. You don't have to lift a finger. Also, please leave us a review. Thank you. As always, we love us some listener feedback here. So please like us on Facebook and/or follow us on Twitter. We're at Hear Big Listen. That's H E A R Big Listen. So you should follow us. We're like the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake ever. Also, if you want to send love notes, our electronic mail address is Big Listen at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston and Ponce Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was turning one year older. So happy birthday to me. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in this show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final words from Johanna Zorn, the executive director of the Third Coast Festival, about this deep dive entertainment journalism world we're in. One of the comments that came up at our town hall was the fact that this was
3: a you know very literary kind of kind of piece mm-hmm. with a little less of that direction that happens radio. You just heard this, you're hearing this. Right. Next, you're going to hear that. Right. But it didn't go all the way. It still played with some of the conventions. Now someone knows that it can be done, or many people know that it can be done. Maybe they'll take it to the next step. And that's what someone recommended at S Town, that she wished it actually had gone further, that it had completely gotten rid of all of those conventions and those props that we're used to and really made you know the literary piece that they probably want to make wanted to make, but they really weren't quite sure they could. Now a small operation can do that. And what about listeners? Will they stick around for that? I know after Serial, there are people who were sort of one and done. They listened to Serial, they went on with their lives. And I'll be curious to see if once there's enough of these kinds of shows that bring in a lot of listeners, that people start to stick around for a lot longer.
1: And we hope you stick around for longer, too. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. The podcast is over. You need to get out of here. But before you scoot, how's about you go? Leave us a review on iTunes and let everyone know what you think of the show. It would really help other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. Thanks so much.